Well, good morning. Good to see you all here today. Appreciate you coming out. Weather kind of broke. Spring is here. You're all out and about. You're ready. Yeah. Welcome to week three of a four-week series called Uphill Habits. And we're focusing on habits early in the year because uh, we want to help you launch a brand new year that is even better than the last one. Uh, Aristotle said this. He said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. And we've been saying that as we form our habits, and then our habits form us. For good or for bad, your habits will determine your destiny. Uh, On your notes, here's the thesis for this series. Most people have uphill hopes and downhill habits. You know, hope is wonderful. Hope is marvelous. Uh, But hope is a motivator, not a strategy. Uh, Hope will get you going, hope will keep you going, but hope will not get you uh, where you want to be. It is changing your habits that is truly effective. And you can make resolutions all you want, you can hope all you want. But the crucial question is, is have you chosen habits that are God habits? Because that's where the real power is. Our theme verse for this series is Romans 12, 2. Read this out loud with me. Fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. God is bringing out the best in you. You know, he's developing a well-formed spiritual maturity in you. Uphill habits, uh, they're uphill because everything worthwhile is uphill. So we've identified four habits for you in this series. First week, Pastor Ryland talked about habit number one. It's where I focus on what I do first. People underestimate the power of first things. But God, in his word, It says over and over again that God blesses whatever we do first. What we think first, what we say first, what we pray first, what we give first, what we spend first. God blesses first things. And that's why the first of the year we want to do 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's why the first of every month we're encouraging you to sit down and intentionally budget and schedule. And that's why we're encouraging you the first of of the week to have a time like this where you can worship and then spend the day as a Sabbath day in rest and renewal. Uh, The first of our day, we're encouraging you to start the day, uh, the first 15, a little bit of worship, a little bit of prayer, a little bit of Bible study. We give God the first of our lives. It's an uphill habit. Habit number two is we got to control our thoughts. Everything begins with a thought. And so I've got to have a plan to control my thoughts. I've got to have a place to think my thoughts. I've got to have people to stretch my thoughts, a purpose to land my thoughts, and a power to fuel my thoughts. Because it all starts in the mind. And today is habit number three. That's where I keep my life aligned with my purpose. I have to keep my life lined up with the reason why God put me on this planet. I go to the chiropractor uh, almost every month uh, just to keep myself uh, in alignment. I mean, it's just amazing to me how all this stuff in the body, it's all hooked together. I mean, the shin bone connected to the neck bone. (laughs) 
it's just, it's all hooked together. And so what affects one part affects another part. And it's amazing to me. I'll go in there and I'll have a pain here and he'll start working here. And I'll have a pain in my back and he'll, he'll adjust my knees. I mean, you know, the, the, the pain is in one place, but it's a referred pain because the real problem is somewhere else. And that happens in our life all the time. We'll have a problem in an area, but that problem, that area is not the source of the pain. You know, your life gets out of alignment, you're going to experience pain in a lot of places. But you get your life lined up with God's purposes, and everything else starts to fall into place. Jesus said it like this. He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus says, you put God first, you seek Him first, you pursue His purpose, and everything else will fall in, into place. And I can't think of anything that brings clearer definition to your marriage, your money, your time, your job, your family, your friendships. Everything becomes clearer when you know the purpose of your life. That's why Rockbrook is a purpose-driven church. Because God's purpose drives everything. And I've discovered the best way to pastor people, the best way to pastor people, and sometimes they don't get this, but the best way to pastor them is not to spend time trying to solve all these little peripheral problems out here. The best way is to get right down to the core and help them align their life with God's purpose. Because if you do that, everything else falls into place. It just brings healing and help and hope to every area of your life. Why is alignment so important? On your notes, write this down. Because I have a purpose. Every one of you has a God-given, God-designed purpose for your life. Every single one of you. And your life will never make sense until you discover what God has made you for. What's your purpose in life? King David said it this way. He says, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And some of you are thinking, yeah, well, you know, I've already messed up that book. I mean, I've, I've put in some chapters that, that God didn't write for me. But I tell you, God has the unique ability to make your life story still fit, no matter how many plot twists you throw at him. And if you'll get your life back in alignment with God's purpose, he, 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 will, he will make it fit with his plan and his purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. And I love that word workmanship. It means you are a masterpiece. You, you are a magnificent painting. You're a marvelous sculpture. You are a one-of-a-kind work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, God had the thing that he wanted you to do first. And then he made you to do it. You know, he, he didn't make you and then try to figure out, well, where's this guy going to fit? You know, look down at me, there's this scrawny kid up in Iowa, and what am I going to do with him? No. God had a plan and a purpose, and he created and designed you and me to fulfill it. God had a purpose for my life before he made me. And everything that has happened to me that has not been fulfilling that purpose is simply an attempt by the world, the flesh, and the devil to detour and distract me from fulfilling the purpose that God made me for. And that's why we need to live life by design, not by default. I don't let the world, the flesh, and the devil define me. I let God define me because he's the one who designed me. 
And so I pursue his purpose, because I have a purpose, and so do you. Second reason why this habit's important is because there is competition for my time and attention. If you'll let someone else define your life, they will. If you'll let the world define your life, it will. And what happens is, is the world and all these other forces start adding things into your life that shouldn't be there. One of the devil's prime tools is just to keep you busy and wear you out doing stuff that is a waste of your time. And most of us are far too busy. We're doing too much, we're spending too much, buying too much, trying to fit too much into our schedule. It's just simply too much. We have bought into the lie that more is what? No, you know, we buy into the lie. If one dollar is good, two dollars is. If one Krispy Kreme is good, two Krispy Kremes is. Yeah, day 14 of a fast, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. If one car is good, two cars is. Yeah. If one kid is good, two kids is. Yeah, some of you hesitated on that one. Okay. One wife is good, two wives are yeah, wrong. It's just wrong. It's not better. Seminary student asked his professor, why did King Solomon have so many wives? Solomon had 700 wives, 300 concubines. And the professor said, probably so that when Solomon got home from work, one of them would be in a good mood. Okay. Back to your notes. <laughs> the world tries to convince us that more is better. But truthfully, an overwhelmed schedule will produce an underwhelmed life. And, and a lot of us are try we're trying to solve the problems in our life by adding all this hectic busyness that, that, that just creates all this referred pain in our life. King Solomon said, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And that statement comes from a guy who had more than anybody else ever. You will never have more than Solomon did. And Solomon tells us right there, more is not better. It's not better. Third reason why this habit's critical to your life is because time is short. Time is short. Time is short on two levels. First, time is short on your life because... You are one day closer to the end of your life than you were yesterday. I'm Kelly. I'm here to encourage you. Okay? I, I mean, that's just the truth. It's, time is also short because we are one day closer to Jesus coming back. And, you know, I mean, you can read through the Bible, look at the prophetic signs. I mean, it's, it's obvious to me, obvious to anybody who studies the Bible, that we're getting close to Jesus coming back. And you don't even have to be able to identify the prophetic signs. I mean, folks, that's not prophecy. That's just math. Okay? We know he's coming back. Every day we're one day closer. And so because of that, as your pastor, it's my job to encourage you to redeem the time that you have been given. Between the services, I was just reading an update on a 10-year-old girl, a friend of ours, who has cancer of the brain, and uh, she's uh, evidently, by this latest message, she's evidently very, very close to the end of her life. I mean, you do not know how much time you have. Ten years old. You do not know how much time you have. You have got to redeem the time because the time is short. James warns us. He says, now listen, you who say, 
today, maybe tomorrow. We'll go over to this city or maybe that city and we'll spend a year there and we'll do some business and make some money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And the word mist there is just that little wisp of water vapor that comes up when you boil a a pot of water to make tea. Poof. That's your life. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, if it is the Lord's purpose for my life, we will live and do this or that. Folks, you've got to catch the vision that today matters. I've got to do the very best I can today because I don't know that i got tomorrow. I don't know that I have, have the future. Today matters. Today could be the day that in your life that everyone will remember forever. Do you realize that? Today could be the day in your life that everybody remembers forever. That's a healthy way to look at today. That'll change the way you live today. I'll never change my life until I start changing what I do every day. And a lot of us wish our lives were different, but we don't want to change what we do every day. But you keep doing your downhill habits, you're going to go downhill. So we've got to get God's help, God's power, so we can start doing these uphill habits and fulfill the purpose that he made us for. So I'm going to give you four keys. Four keys to mastering the habit of aligning my life with, with God's purpose. And number one, I must decide what is important. You know, a lot of our lives are not defined by what's important. Our lives are defined by what's urgent. All the demands, all the time demands that are coming into our life. In fact, our lives are defined by everybody else. And isn't it amazing that, that we feel pressured to do all these things, but when you really stop and look at them, you realize, well, <laughs> that's not really all that important. That's not helping me accomplish my purpose. Now, I recognize that we all have things that we have to do that are just a part of life. I mean, I don't really feel called by God to load the dishwasher. I don't feel called by God to make the bed. I don't feel called by God to mow the yard or get the oil changed in the car. But I do those things because it's part of the responsibility of everyday life. But those things should not dominate our life. Those things certainly should not drive my life. We can't lose sight of our priorities. You ever done an an exercise where, where you just stop and define the priorities in your life? You know, if you don't do that, they'll get out of whack. Super Bowl's coming up here in in, in a few weeks, and I heard about this guy who went to the Super Bowl last year, and he had uh, perfect seats, 50-yard line, about halfway up. Game had been going on for a little while, and a guy near him said, I noticed that the seat next to the guy was empty. And so he said to him, hey, uh, you know, who's that seat for? The guy said, well, this seat was for my wife, but she passed away, and so she couldn't be here. And the guy said, well, that's really sweet of you to kind of, you know, leave that seat empty in her honor. And he goes, but, you know, these tickets are really expensive. And he said, didn't you have another family member that could come and sit in the seat? And the guy said, well, you know, I invited the family to come, but but they couldn't. And the guy said, why not? First guy said, well, they're all at my wife's funeral. (laughs) 
You can tell it, just don't tell them where you heard it, okay? That's the deal on those, okay? The guy had his priorities out of whack. Back to your notes. Here's how the Apostle Paul said, he said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What I used to think was important, I don't think it's important anymore. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Circle the words surpassing greatness. He says, I was really kind of resisting doing these God things because I saw, thought there were great things, there were profitable, beneficial things in my life. And he said, but after I started doing the God things, I, I found out that they're not just greater, they are surpassingly greater. And too many of, of us have, have bought the devil's lie that, you know, you don't need to go all in for God, just trust in Jesus and squeak into heaven and then just live it up down here while you can. That's the way to do it. But the real joy in living is living in such a way that you make a difference in the lives of other people for eternity. You make a difference in the lives of people, in your family, in your neighborhood, this church, the community, the world. You make a difference for eternity by fulfilling the purposes of God. You start living that way. You start giving up the things that are distracting and draining you. You give up those things for Christ, for whose sake I have lost all things. You start giving those things up for Christ and they won't seem so important anymore. Paul says, the, the things I used to value so highly, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. And I'll just tell you, the only way you're going to know that is if you try it. Because Paul can tell you and I can tell you, but the only way you're really going to know it is when you start doing it. And you can live life at the, you know, I believe in Jesus level, and you can live it at the, you know, I go to church and I think I'm going to heaven level, or you can dive all in, and you can pursue God's passion for your life with a purpose. And believe me, there is no comparison between those ways of living. And if you've never tried it, you're missing out on surpassing greatness. If I'm going to align my life with my purpose, I must, number two, give calendar time to the important things. Many people claim to have values in their life that don't show up on their calendar. And you really don't have a value if it doesn't show up on your calendar because the way you value it is you make time for it. And if you value your marriage, there, there, there's going to be time for your marriage. There's going to be a date night on your calendar. If you value your family, there's going to be time in your calendar for your family. You're going to have a family night, a game night, a family activity night, where it's just you and your family. If you value God, there's going to be time in your calendar for the things of God. And the best way to do that is to intentionally do it first of every month before everybody else starts piling in on, on, your, on your calendar. You want to set those things in stone before it happens. So that when the other, other things start coming, you say, I, I, I can't do that Monday night. Monday night, uh, I'm busy. They don't have to know it's date night with your wife. Uh, no, Thursday night, I can't do that. Thursday night, I got something. That's family night. I can't do anything on Wednesday night. That's small group. Or, you, know, you just build the stuff into the calendar and then let everything else fit. Because you schedule first what's important in your life. Moses put it this way in Psalm 90. He says, teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Folks, you've got seven days in a week. That's how few they are. You've got seven days in a week. 
And so you better get in there and get that week scheduled with the things that are important in your life or it's going to be gone. Boom. Help us to spend them as we should. I want to share a little strategy with you from John, uh, John Maxwell. John calls it the rule of five. And the way it works is, is every day you commit to doing five things. Now, you don't have to do them all day. You just have to do them every day, even if it just takes a minute. And the illustration uh, that he uses for this is, is suppose you have an axe and you have a big tree in the backyard that you want to cut down. So every day you pick up the axe and you give it five whacks. Doesn't take a lot of time, doesn't take a lot of energy, just five whacks every day. But every day, over time, you give that tree five whacks with an axe, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. It's going to fall. It is so easy for us to expect results in something where we don't put forth any effort. You know, we hope for results, but we don't put forth the effort. Well, that's not going to work. Or we swing to the other extreme and we try to do too much too fast. You know, you know either we don't pick up the axe and go out and chop at all and still expect the tree to come down, or we pick up the axe and we go out there and we chop like a maniac and we get blisters on our hand and we break the axe handle and we dull the blade and we hurt ourselves and, and it doesn't work. You know, the, the solution is not to do nothing and just hope it comes down or to just go crazy and try to do it all at once. The solution is consistent habits over time. Consistent ever. We don't wear ourselves out trying to do too much all at once. We just do. That's the power of a consistent uphill habit. And so I would encourage you just to look at your life, evaluate it. What would my life look like if every day I did five things? And I don't have to do them all day. I just have to do them every day. What if every day I do something that helps me focus on first things? What if every day I do something that helps me control my thoughts? What if every day I do something that helps me align my life with God's purpose? Next week, Ryland's going to talk to you about how to have great relationships. What if every day I did something to make my relationships great? And see, we're giving you four habits. That leaves you the fifth one. You can pick, that can be whatever you want it to be. But you pick those things and you do them consistently every day over time. What's going to happen? Life's going to change. Yeah. Let me give you a couple of other things you need uh, on your calendar. First, you need to make time for renewal. Because you have got to refresh yourself. Too many irons in the fire put the fire out. And so you've you got to understand the principle of the Sabbath. You, you've got to have a day every week, every seven days, you've got to have a day where you just slow yourself down and you restore your body, soul, and spirit. Where you worship God and, and, and you renew yourself. Folks, that is a biblical principle. And, and the truth is, if you try it, you'll find out you can get more done in six days with a Sabbath than you can get done in seven days without one. And that's not just a biblical principle. Honestly, that is a scientific, historical fact. It's been studied over and over and over again that you are wired up to have a Sabbath. And if you don't, you become, you become ineffective and it won't work over time. 
And you just have to test it to find out. Paul, Paul said it like this. He said, therefore, we do not lose heart. Tell me, Paul, how do you not lose heart? Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. You must have time for inward renewal. You need a Sabbath. Second, you must make time for relationships. Most important decisions that you will make in your life after the decision to establish a relationship with God through your faith in Jesus Christ, the next most important decision you're going to make is who are you going to do life with? What are the relationships that you're going to have? And you've got to make time for your relationships. And we're launching our winter-spring small group semester, February 4th. This is a great time to sign up, get into a small group. You know, the place where the big church gets small is in small groups. And Rockbrook's a big church. We're going to have 1,200 people come through this place this weekend. You cannot get to know 1,200 people. You, just can't, you can't get to know everybody in this service, especially sitting in here staring at the back of their head. <laughs> That's not even the purpose of what we're doing here today. This isn't about relationships. No, you can't know 1,200 people, but you can sure know 12 or 10 or 4 or 2 however many are in your small group. And so I'd encourage you, get into a small group. It's your opportunity to get to know some other people and for them to know you. And you need both of those things. You need to know other people and you need to be known. And, and sometimes people don't want to sign up for a group because they can't go every week. You know, it's a 13-week semester and they think, man, I can't go to every one of those. I got, you know, I got this trip planned and my work schedule changes and I've you know, got a surgery deal or whatever you got. I, I, can't, I can't go to every one of those, so you don't go to any of them. You know, I, I'm going to encourage you, don't, don't, don't think like that. Don't look at what you can't do. Look at what you can do. Because losers look at what they can't do and don't do anything. And winners look at what they can do and do it. So it's 13 weeks, so you can only be there four weeks. That's four weeks more than if you didn't go at all. And that's more people, more relationships that you'll have than if you don't go at all. And I just want to release you from, from the guilt of the idea that you've got to go every week. And you small group leaders, you've got somebody who shows up half the time. <laughs> Woohoo! Yay, Bob! Bob's here. He's been here four times this semester. We love it when Bob shows up. Celebrate that. You know, do what you can do. Don't do nothing because you can't do it all. You've got to make time for your relationships. Also, you want to make time for reward. You must do things that invest in eternity. Because one day you're going to stand before God and God's going to ask you for an account of your life. And he's going to ask you two questions. I'll tell you, it's my job as a pastor to tell you what's on the final exam. There's two questions. It's an oral exam. And the first one is, what did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? And when God asks you that, the correct answer is, I, I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. I confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life, and I moved into a relationship with him, and, and, and I, I, I let him save me. You know, that, that's the answer. And the, how you answer that question will determine your eternal destination. If you, if you answer, I've, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, you get to go to heaven. If you say, you know, I just didn't really decide I wasn't sure if he was who he said he was and so I just did the best I could and uh, here I am wrong answer wrong destination the second question that if you pass the first one 
Second question is, what did you do with the life that I gave you? What did you do with the life that I gave you? This is the sanctification question. And this question determines the rewards that you will get in heaven. Salvation is free. No effort on our part. It is based in our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Sanctification. Sanctification is how much we cooperate with God and let His power and let His purpose drive our life so that we can do the things that He has chosen and called and commanded and commissioned us to do. It's important that you live your life aligned with God's purpose for your life because that's how God determines how much to reward you. And God wants to give you great rewards. That's why He made you. But too many of us are pursuing all these other things. We're missing out on the rewards that God has for us. And I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to you. And that's why we do what we do here at Rockbrook to help you discover your purpose and make a difference. Because it matters for eternity. Third thing i got to do. To align my life, I must eliminate the non-essentials. There are things in every life that really, honestly, don't belong. They, they, your life is not better with those things in it. And so you need to make a list of the things you're going to prune out of your life. You need to make a to-do list. You need to make a not-to-do list. And just eliminate the non-essentials. And this is a never-ending process because those things are coming in all the time. Hebrews says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has marked out a race for you, and you need to throw off everything that's keeping you from running it to your best ability. Fourth thing, to align my life, I need to regularly take inventory. To ju just stop and say, where's my life out of alignment? Holy Spirit, show me wh where I'm out of alignment, and let me make the adjustment that I need to make. Because these problems that are nagging at me and wearing me down, I've got to get to the source and solve them. That's why I like this last verse. It says, Lord, remind me. Remind me. Why? Because I forget how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you Human existence is but a breath. Your life, it's but a breath, but it's precious and it has purpose. And God wants you to discover it and pursue it with a passion so he can reward you for it. Let's pray together. I'd invite you just right now just to, just to take a quick inventory. Just say, Holy Spirit, just show me the areas of my life that are out of whack and need to line up. And I'd encourage you to take an inventory of your soul and just say, are, are you ready for that day when you're going to meet God? Don't assume you have plenty of time to get ready. Don't assume you can wait another day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you made that decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's the sal salvation question. And then there's the sanctification question. God's looking for people who are fully surrendered to him. And so I'd invite you just to pray. Say, God, I need you. I want to follow you. I want to serve you. I want to go all in. 
I want to see what my life can be like if I surrender to you and pursue your purpose with a passion. God, forgive me. Change me. Live inside of me. Make me brand new. Help me to live out these uphill habits that you've called me to. In Jesus' name, amen.